Hello, Internet, and welcome to the Cloud Architects Podcast. A podcast about cloud and the people using it. We are live from Microsoft Tech Summit 2018 in Cape Town. We've got some great interviews planned for you. Hope you enjoy. These episodes are brought to you by Kemp Technologies. Have a look at Kemp Technologies' great new product called Kemp Vision, where it provides insights into pretty much everything you own. It's a great product, and I recommend you have a look at it. Another sponsor of this podcast is Plantronics. Plantronics is my headset of choice, especially when I travel. The model that I use is the UC8200. It's a new product. It gives about 24, 25 hours of battery life, no problem. The noise cancellation is incredible. Pretty much drowns out the entire plane, so you can get a good night's rest. It also has no mic boom, considering there's technically no microphones in it. So have a look at the UC8200 from Plantronics. It's an amazing piece of tech. And so now on with the show. Today we are with Jeff Mieloff, who's a Principal Program Manager in the Office 365 Product Group. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks. So, Jeff, can you tell us what is a Principal Program Manager and what do you do inside Office 365? Sure, absolutely. So, uh, the Principal Program Manager title, or actually the Program Manager title in general, uh, is kind of nebulous within Microsoft a little bit. Uh, can sometimes be used as sort of the the bucket of everything other than people who actually sit in front of a PC and write software all day long. Yeah. Uh, traditionally, from an engineering perspective, it's uh, uh, the people who understand customer needs, write specifications, and and really are uh, responsible end to end for getting new features and new products released to customers, um, other than actually doing the coding. Okay. In my in my role, um, I've I've always worked on uh, sort of. Uh, special teams yeah. <laughs> that, that didn't really fit the, the common mold. Um, and in my in my current role, uh, the, the program manager job involves a lot of the just do whatever needs to, to happen to get something done yeah. side of, of the, the job description. Uh, so my, my team certainly is involved in writing specifications and helping to release new features, but we also deal quite a bit with customer escalations, um, special projects that, that need to be accomplished as part of uh, executives asking for okay <laughs> for things to get done <laughs> Jeff people who've read the exchange blog will know you as the performance guy yep and you've been instrumental in helping us shape how large exchange could be on premises and what it shouldn't do why don't you tell us how you became the perf guy and why you're interested in performance in the first place Sure, absolutely. Uh, so when I when I joined Microsoft, I actually interviewed with uh, with two two teams, uh, the Exchange team and the eBooks team. I don't know if anyone remembers our our <laughs> very old eBooks effort and Microsoft Reader. Wow, of, yes. of years ago. Yes. Um, and I actually got uh, got job offers from both. Um, at the time that I interviewed with Microsoft, I was actually running a, an email system for a, a school district in Southern California. It's about uh, I want to say. 40,000 users, something like that. Yeah, um, and I was doing that while attending university, and was very interested in building messaging systems and the architecture behind it, and uh, a lot of the the internet technologies, DNS. Um, uh, you know, the web was certainly getting big at that time as well, uh, and um, you know, just because of that experience of, of building 
uh, building a, a fairly large-scale messaging system uh, for that that particular agency, uh, I was very interested in in the exchange offer at the time, um, and uh, at, you know, as part of that that interview process, I was actually in the middle of building a an even larger scale system for our students. So. 120, 130,000 mailboxes. Uh, and what really sold me on the exchange job was uh, uh, a conversation I had with the, um, what we refer to as the, the as app, the as appropriate, the person who makes the final call in a Microsoft interview loop at yeah. the end of the day, the end of a very long day, <laughs> uh, who basically set up the pitch um, along the lines of, you know, essentially what you're building for your, your current employer is exactly what we're building in Exchange 2000 from an architectural perspective, except yeah. I was doing it on Unix. I come from a Unix background. Yes. Um, so you could absolutely keep doing that in your current role, or you could come here, do the same thing, and impact a couple hundred million users. <laughs> oh, that's, that's quite compelling. <laughs> it's kind of hard to say no to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, how, that's what brought me into Exchange. Um, and actually, in, in later years, I ended up working fairly closely with some of the people I interviewed with in the eBooks team, who later on became the uh, the DRM team and the rights yeah. management team and yeah. the IRM team and whatever you know other names you want to apply to it, uh, many of them are still around. But um, uh, you know, thinking about uh, how I got into uh, performance, I actually started out with the scalability team. Okay. So we were very much focused on uh, actually trying to run real world tests with the Exchange 2000 product and later uh, on big hardware in the lab. Uh, trying to figure out where the where the breaking points were, and I found that very interesting. But I also found the uh, the more data oriented uh, kind of systems analysis side of it very interesting as well. Yeah. That's that's when you start to get in, into performance and one of the the differences between per performance and scalability work. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I I've always been involved in in that type of work uh, with the Exchange product and. Um, I'm a systems guy at heart. Yeah. I remember having arguments with customers, asking them to take RAM out of their service to deploy Exchange. <laughs> and yes. um, telling them that 96 gigs of RAM was enough. And um, just they just couldn't believe me. And uh, later on proving that it did work and it worked for a reason. Now, um, you were very instrumental in, in getting those reasons pinned down mm -hmm. and why things broke after 96 gigs of RAM. So um, you've recently, relatively recently, lifted those limits. And you've released or announced as Microsoft another version of on-premises exchange. That's right. What's up with that and That's why? Right. Uh, so to, to cover the, the first part of it, why we, we increased the, the memory limit. So the, the memory limits were around originally because of uh, a number of scalability issues and, and different components in the system. And some of those were Windows, not Exchange, like the, the garbage collection process. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, both Windows as well as uh, the, the .NET framework that much of the Exchange product relies upon uh, at a very low level uh, to do its job. Um, over time, uh, limits in all the, the levels of the stack get fixed. Yeah. Right? There's we're, we're not the only consumer of you know, the pieces in Windows and the, the pieces in .NET Framework that, that had issues. And certainly with an exchange, we had issues as well that were preventing us from, from scaling higher. Uh, we needed to scale higher for our own use within the service. Um, when you think about building a, a system of the scale of Exchange Online within Office 365, if we had to run into that same limit that customers were upset about yep. that didn't allow them to fully utilize modern hardware, yep. 
you know, the, the cost impact when you think about the scale of, of a system like we run is just huge. Yeah. So we had to do quite a bit of work to, uh, to push on those limits and raise them. So that's, that's why we changed those. Um, in terms of the, the new release, Exchange 2019, that we announced uh, at Ignite last September, uh, yeah, absolutely coming. <laughs> and the, uh, the name of the product should give you some idea of approximately when it will be coming. Yeah. Um, and uh, in terms of why, I think it's fair to say that even though we do have a very large number of customers today in Exchange Online and a lot more coming, um, uh, you know, our, our, our growth is, is really phenomenal um, in terms of both number of customers and number of mailboxes. There are very legitimate reasons for many of our customers to have some number of their mailboxes on-prem. Yeah. And we want to make sure that we're giving them the opportunity to stay current and stay supported and be in a much better position to be able to uh, to get fixes to them to help them onboard to the service when they're ready to. And this this is one clear way that we can do that. Um, you know, if we just leave the existing product out there, it becomes harder and harder for us to service. Uh, you know, obviously the published support life cycles eventually end. Um, this is just, you know, our, our way of making sure we're, we're providing a good way for people to stay current. So in your current role as the performance guy, you must have seen some amazing scale things in running a service at scale. What can you share with us about that? Sure, absolutely. Um, we, we learn a lot <laughs> as part of running the service. Yeah. Um, and I, I've been in a role, uh, actually it's, it's a little bit of a family business. So I'm, I'm, I historically have been in this sort of on-premises uh, facing uh, performance and scalability role. Uh, my wife is actually also part of the exchange team. She's currently in the Office 365 side of uh, the exchange uh, performance group. And so she's actually dealing with uh, perf and scalability issues on a day-to-day -day basis in the service. So you can imagine we spend a fair amount of time talking about that at home. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there, you know, going back to when we launched the service, we have run into many, many issues uh, because of the design of the service. Um, you know, we're able to avoid impacting availability generally. Uh, but there are certainly, you know, cases where we have not predicted growth properly. Um, and so we've uh, run into, into issues where we've had to really scramble to make sure that we've got the right capacity to be able to, to meet demand. Uh, and we have some, clearly some of the best engineers in the business who are able to, uh, to go scramble and, you know, eke out that 10, 15, 20% of CPU um, magically that, uh, that wasn't there before. Yeah. Uh, and we have great teams of folks who are very good at quickly deploying hardware and um, getting new capacity up and running as fast as possible. Um, but it's, it's very interesting uh, to, um, to run the service at, at such scale and be able to uh, kind of for the first time actually truly hit some of the issues that our on-premises customers see true scale bugs that yeah. we never, ever, ever would have been able to repro in the lab previously, yeah. you know, with tools like LoadSim and LoadGen, which yeah. I was heavily involved in. Um, those, those tools attempt to mimic a, a real user, but in actuality, uh, you know, they, they might be able to catch five, 10% of performance and scalability as issues. As that. Yeah, yeah. We, we actually, many years ago, stopped using those as tools in our own labs to try and, and find these problems. So being able to have this, you know, all of this real user load coming in allows us to find these things. We, we have enough scale in the service, enough, I guess, additional capacity in the service that we can deal with those issues, but we can also fix them. And, you know, this is one of those cases where our on-premises users benefit from the service 
those fixes in general get rolled back into the, the on-premises products that we produce. Okay. So um, with that, I'm going to expect that you've run into things where at 3 o'clock in the morning the phone rings. <laughs> Uh, some of us are on call, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to get that more uh, in terms of like executive escalations for really large on-premises customers yeah. where something has really, really gone wrong, uh, and we need to you know very quickly engage and um, and resolve what we what we used to call crit sets. Yeah. Um, so you know you think of that as a, a Microsoft Premier support customer raising a crit set, we need to get this fixed, drop everything, make it happen, yeah. uh, get it done. Yes, there's absolutely some of that. Um, and you know, we still have that today with the service, frankly. There are, you know, you could think of them as, as scalability issues, but you know, deployment issues that involve really large customers mm -hmm. where they have specific requirements that um, not, you know, the, the, the bulk of our customers don't have. And as a result, um, their deployments get blocked and we have to, to find ways to drop everything and, and solve those as well. Um, I'm, I'm dealing with one right now for uh, a customer who's running into the, the domains limit, um, the maximum number of domains that you can, uh, can utilize in Office 365. Huge challenge for this particular customer. And uh, it's, it, Are we allowed to ask what that limit is? Oh, sure, absolutely. It's it's published. It's I think we say it's around nine hundred. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because of the way those those are stored, it's um, uh, you know a little bit challenging to know exactly what the number is. It'll vary from customer to customer, but um, uh, you know for the vast majority of users of Office three sixty five, you will never get anywhere close to that number. Yeah, but there certainly are customers out there who have um, legitimate use cases for going above that number uh, and we've got some challenges getting there so we're working very hard to solve that right now so you said that you started with exchange 2000 right yep so are you tired of exchange yet <laughs> <laughs> actually i mean i've only been i probably you know strangely enough the first the first one i worked on was exchange 2000 i think that's the first exchange i ever worked on so yep. um yep. yeah um am i tired of it uh, well i'm not tired of it tired of exchange yeah 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 um I don't know that I'll ever truly be tired of Exchange. It's a it's a great product, and it's been very fun to watch it mature and into just a really awesome, rock solid product. Um, I've been involved with many releases, some of them better than others. Uh, <laughs> we all have our favorites. Um, we can go there if you'd yeah. like. Yeah. Which one? Which one was your worst? And which one was your favorite? <sighs> worst. I worst mean, because is a little bit of a toss up between two thousand and two thousand seven. They both. They both had their negatives. Um, the 2000, I think, has to have been the worst of uh, of the bunch. Yes, I, I, I personally I will say yes, that I'm, I'm not responsible for Exchange 2000. I started, sure, two, started weeks, yeah. two weeks before the ship party, the the actual you know release to manufacturing date. Um, so that was that was before me. I, I was there for the service packs where we tried to actually make it usable. Uh, <laughs> but 2003, which honestly I would call like you know the final service pack of 2000. I think that's probably well, that's probably the release I'm most proud of. Yeah. Yeah, that was I a rock-solid product. I agree. I enjoyed 2003. I actually, I worked at a company uh, just before just before Nick, actually, just before me and Nick started working together. They were still running 2003. That was the problem. It was a little too rock-solid. Yeah, it was still running, <laughs> and it still worked. It's very hard to get people yeah. to move forward. And it was running on a 32-bit OS. It yes. had 4 gigs of RAM, and yep. it was servicing, I don't know, about 1,000 users, and it was working. It yep. just worked. Yep. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, 
I don't think I'll ever truly get get tired of exchange. The nice thing about uh, working at Microsoft is uh, the the breadth of uh, of products that we have. And the nice thing about working in Office three sixty five is that there's so many areas that are related to exchange, but not necessarily specific to exchange that I get to be involved in these days. Uh, so there's a lot of flexibility there, and I, I get to expand my horizons as you things know, interest me. It's not often I get to speak to a PPM. And I actually asked this question the other day to Mary Jo. I'll ask you, then if don't answer it, but the difference, since you've been there so long, the difference in leadership mm -hmm. and the different sort of ways the, the company has gone. I mean, I asked Mary Jo Foley, and she was quite open about it. And uh, how do you find Microsoft now? I mean, for me, I'm also um, a Linux guy by, by, by background. I'm an open source boy, and I love Microsoft at the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I've got a Microsoft tattoo, believe it or not. But um, I love Microsoft, and I love the way that they're the biggest open source contributor at the moment. And there's a lot of products that are completely, I mean, the service fabric being completely open source now, well, most of it. Um, how do you find the different styles of Microsoft now? Which did you prefer? Is there anything that's changed that, you know? Sure. Uh, the I think us embracing open source and us being open to the fact that um, the Microsoft ecosystem is not the only ecosystem out there yeah. and that our customers actually build solutions that get stuff done with a bunch of components from a bunch of different vendors yeah. is an important realization. <laughs> yes. um, you know, whether or not we we realize that internally, the fact that we now kind of trumpet that and embrace it is awesome. Um, I think, you know, culturally, so I, in my, in my roles, I've kind of been associated with setting limits for exchange, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, scalability limits and deployment guidance and things like that. One of the, one of the challenges for me is that I, I tend to approach, um, uh, deployment guidance from the perspective of giving people the freedom to do whatever they need to do, yeah. um, to, to build the solution and get the job done. Um, that goes up a little bit against uh, kind of the the way that we've preferred to do things in the past, where we were very rigid in our guidance, and um, you know this is the way to do it. I think culturally now we're moving away from that, um, and and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, I'm also I also come from like I said a Unix background, so yeah. it's it's really nice to. <laughs> Yeah. To, to see that be embraced, it's nice to um, have a you know a better relationship uh, when you think about the mobile clients that are that are working with Exchange. Um, yes. Yeah, it's 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 a I think a much healthier place to be. Definitely, and I think Exchange is 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 a prime example of that, and what it lets you do now compared to what you used to do before. Yep, it's yep. great, and I think maybe I should move over to the the, the service offering and specifically around connectivity. I know you, you, you did a talk here on connectivity, and I've religiously watched the two polls, and <laughs> they won every, every year at Ignite, it changes slightly mm -hmm. to say that they're doing something even better. And they mentioned last year's Ignite, the fact that they're working to, to, to uh, ad adapt to people who don't want to get rid of their proxies. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, this is a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart at the moment. Um, my, my team uh, spends quite a bit of time these days working on deployment guidance for Office 365 connectivity. Um, 
certainly exchange is a big part of that. Uh, but you know, I've, we're we've expanded our horizons to to also cover uh, SharePoint and Skype and some of the other smaller services that um, that make up Office 365. And uh, and that that proxy guidance that you're that you're referring to is one very severe pain point for our customers. Um, you know, for many many years we've we've been out there saying. We don't want any devices between, you know, on, on, on the edge of your network between your your um, your users and uh, and the Microsoft Cloud. And we've had some good reasons for that. We've been very specific about um, the the latency impacts and the potential functionality impacts that you can run into uh, that we see from customer escalations. But going out there and telling a, an enterprise customer with, you know, fifty thousand users or even even a much more moderate. Uh, small business customer that actually has some sort of proxy infrastructure for a legitimate reason that they can't do that. That's a difficult conversation. You guys have invested a lot of time and a lot of money to bring those CAS servers as close as you possibly can. Yep. And you guys go in and you've built in all those layers of security into Outlook and into Exchange Online so that they do it for I'm of the opinion that <laughs> they just need to listen <laughs> yep. as far as I'm concerned. Yep. And, and so that's, that's part of the conversation. A lot of it has to do with uh, a conversation around trust. And what, the way we typically approach this is that we really want people to be able to identify the traffic that's associated with Office 365 sure. and treat it differently. Um, you know, but in general, these proxies are, are put out there because uh, people don't trust Internet traffic. Right. You and you probably shouldn't trust generic Internet traffic. It's, you know, people looking at cat pictures and browsing Facebook and things that are not necessarily related to your business in many cases. And having that traffic flowing in and out of your network, there's some inherent issues with that. Right. But that Office 365 traffic is absolutely different. You've made a choice in moving to Office 365 to trust Microsoft to store your data, to protect your service. data. It's software as a service, absolutely. And uh, you know, as part of that, um, uh, you know, that 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 trusting of Microsoft, you also need to trust how that those transactions are occurring between sure. your users and Microsoft. Like you said, we do a lot to uh, uh, to secure and protect uh, that data in transit, and uh, and so our very strong belief is that you should identify that traffic, um, treat it differently <laughs> as much as possible. In other words, um, where possible, avoid proxy. Sure. Uh, we're doing some work right now to actually make that a little easier, um, which uh, I think some of it was mentioned at Ignite. Uh, we're certainly talking about it at, at the Tech Summit here. The, the primary thing that we're doing is actually, rather than providing this gigantic list of namespaces that make up Office 365, uh, instead trying to distill that down into a very small handful of namespaces sure. that actually represent about, for a typical customer, around 95% of, of the bandwidth utilization yeah. and, the, um, and the, the connection load. Um, and there'll be things like you know, the, the primary Exchange Online namespace that will be most of the Outlook traffic, the OA namespace, the, the SharePoint namespace for your tenant. And those are the, the the namespaces that you really want to optimize. Sure. You want to have all of that traffic, certainly bypassing the proxy. You obviously don't want to be doing anything with uh, um, with uh, uh, SSL break and inspect uh, for that traffic. You want to have as clean a pathway as possible for that. And then everything else kind of falls into a couple of, of other buckets. But in general, a lot of that traffic, you can just run through the normal pathway out yeah. to the internet. Which um, is pretty much every software as a service offering. So it's not really, you're not like you're asking a company anything different to any other 
software as a service providers. That's Which right. also just leads me to my last question, and then I'm going to hand back to you, is Skype for Business and why the SBCs at the edge? We, we were at the booth yesterday talking to someone about it, and the SBCs at the edge being removed. Is that part of a, a longer plan? Do you understand? I mean, the fact that the whole voicemail going to the cloud and the fact that it has to go through Skype for Business. Was there a plan there from the exchange side or was this purely just a Skype for Business thing? Do you have insight on the fact that uh, why now? Because essentially, UM's become a bit difficult now. I don't have much insight into uh, the, the SBC removal piece. Um, uh, I, I can say that certainly from, from my perspective, actually, yeah, that I, I don't I don't have. <laughs> I, I don't know, honestly, um, uh, the, the, the detail around that. Um, I, I think it certainly makes sense for, uh, for a little bit of change in that space, just from the perspective of having the people that do, um, th that really truly understand real-time media uh, to actually implement all the functionality that, that is important for real-time media. Sure. Exchange is not the place for that when you think about it. Um, beyond that, in terms of roadmap and how things are actually implemented, uh, that's not in my area. I don't have much insight, but it'd be interesting to watch. <laughs> Something that we've spoken about at length to customers, and you've had a, a session around it, is that the network that's built to browse is not the same network to consume cloud services. Yep. However, your compliant customer comes along and says, Jeff, I need to see what is going where and who's initiating what inside my business. Yep. And that's just not a case of trust. It's I have to be compliant to whatever framework I'm compliant to. So if you're going to take away my proxy, how do you solve that problem? What What are you going to give me as a replacement? Yep. So uh, usually a customer who's looking to do that uh, is going to be looking at a uh, some sort of a cloud access security product, of which there are many out there. Microsoft certainly is in this business as well now. And our guidance is uh, pretty clear around this for Office 365, and that is solutions that utilize our management activity API um, and actually take a feed of data from all of the different components within Office 365 and provide very specific granular information about what users are doing when and you know where available you know, the, what the context of all those those activities are so, so that you can really drill into it. That's the right way to get that information. It's uh, a much more reliable um, uh, way to get the information versus putting a device at the network layer in between the user and the, the service and hoping that you can kind of guess at what, you know, what the content of those, um, those transactions is. Uh, in general, if you're trying to do that, do that to the network layer, you're kind of reverse engineering what those protocols look like, uh, and that's constantly going to be changing. Uh, that's the nature of software as a service, right? There's always change. Uh, additionally, there's multiple layers of encryption. How do you know that you're really going to be able to see what yeah. you need to see in those uh, in those packets, even if you are decrypting the first layer of, uh, of SSL or TLS? Um, so. Getting that data with Management Activity API, absolutely the way to go. Certainly the way that um, Office 365, Cloud App Security, and uh, you know the Microsoft stack uh, in this space gets its its data. And there are others. There are third-party solutions that integrate with that API as well. Okay. So <clears throat> if we are on-premises and we are decoding traffic, that'll break things. 
Um, as I said, we're doing uh, SSL decryption. We don't want to do that. We're effectively a man-in-the-middle attack. And we're also introducing um, upwards of 100 milliseconds of latency on a good day, sometimes 150 milliseconds plus. So I'm going to take that layer out of my network and vendor X comes along and says, I have a CASB solution. But in order to really see what you're doing in cloud, I'm going to ask you to route all your SaaS traffic, irrespective of who it is, including Office 365, through that CASB vendor. What you're saying is, I could be duplicating what I'm doing on-premises in cloud again, and effectively I could end up with a broken offering. Is that right? Yeah, so to be clear, when you say on-premises, what I'm what I'm saying is you're duplicating what you... Uh, what I used to do on-premises. What you what used I, to do on-premises yes. and what you're, what you're doing in Office 365 today, yeah. potentially, depending on, um, on what you've purchased within Office 365. But yes, absolutely. So um, we spend quite a bit of energy building security components and building... Uh, components across the suite that allow you to to have more visibility into what users are doing and, and really trust the solution end to end. And uh, by adding an additional solution that um, in many cases will be duplicating that functionality, not only are you adding latency, but you're also uh, uh, creating an opportunity for availability issues, right? You know, now, now you're thinking about, okay, I have a, a base SLA for Office 365. I've got some guarantees around how available that's going to be, and I've done the right things to have uh, great network connectivity to get to Office 365, but have I just introduced a single point of failure? Yeah. You know, how, what, what sort of availability guarantees does my cloud CASB vendor provide to me? Yeah. Uh, and how does that overlay on all these other SLAs or guarantees that I have? Um, it's a, an additional layer of complexity, and if it's not actually adding value, then you shouldn't be sending your traffic there. So I have customers that believe that ExpressRoute will fix their connectivity issues, lower their latency, and give them a compliant mechanism to go to Office 365. Are they right or are they wrong? Uh, it depends. <laughs> How's that for a consulting answer? Yeah. Um, so you, you know, you brought up a bunch of different possible ways that ExpressRoute could help, and I'll, I'll start with um, the the performance ones first. So in general, ExpressRoute is not a performance solution for Office 365. Um, and, and actually, if you go and look at uh, many of the ways that ExpressRoute is advertised as a good thing for Azure, mm -hmm. which it absolutely is. Yeah. There's no question about that. Uh, many of those benefits actually do not accrue at all to Office 365. The performance yeah. benefits, the security benefits, um, it just it just aren't there. Um, when you think about uh, uh, the performance benefit and, and reduction in latency in particular, the interesting thing about ExpressRoute is that in general, you end up picking one or maybe a very small number of peering locations to, to get your traffic onto Microsoft's network. Um, in doing so, for many customers of, of decent size, what mm. you end up doing is backhauling your traffic across a corporate WAN, yeah. egressing in one of those small number of locations, yeah. and that path tends to be far less optimal than following our, our very basic connectivity recommendation, which is local internet breakout yeah. as close to the user as possible. With GeoDNS? Uh, with with uh, uh, local DNS resolution as well, yes. Yeah. Very important for Exchange Online. Um, so you, you have the potential to add latency, and that this occurs with many, many customers who have have uh, tried to deploy ExpressRoute on 
um, either are living with that increased latency today or have, have backed away from it. The compliance piece is interesting. There absolutely are customers who have a specific uh, regulatory requirement to have a, you know, a direct connection to their, their SaaS provider. Yeah. Um, and that is a, a perfectly legitimate reason to, to head down the express route path. You just have to be really, really careful to plan it properly. Yeah. Um, and try and avoid the performance issues I just mentioned. It adds a whole bunch of complexity from a networking perspective, and so we also see availability issues yeah. where um, you know it's very hard to actually uh, get a, a reliable connection into Office 365 with it unless you plan properly. Yeah, so some of the issues we would have seen are things like um, uh, diverged routes mm -hmm. impacting things like mailbox moves, velocity migrations go down the toilet, availability stops working randomly, Yep, absolutely. Um, uh, asymmetric routing is a huge problem. Uh, you, you can get into cases where, um, you know, certain portions of your Office 365 connectivity just stop working, and it's yeah. very, very difficult to troubleshoot why. Yeah. Uh, they tend to be very long um, uh, troubleshooting efforts with Microsoft support and the, 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 uh, the carrier to get those resolved. So, yeah, not necessarily a, a premium offering, shall we say. And eventually it ends up uh, with Paul Collinge. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Paul. Paul's one of my uh, my coworkers, and uh, he does a a great job of going into into a great uh, level of detail at the ne the network layer to figure out what's going on. But you know, this is one of those cases where you really don't want to be on the phone with Paul if you can avoid yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a if good place. If the phone to rings be. and Paul's on the phone, that you know you're in a bad place. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Jeff, thank you so much for spending time with us. Before we let you go. What would you like to plug and how do people find you on the socials? How do you want to be found? Ah, great. So on the socials, <laughs> um, I am at Melif, uh, my last name, uh, on Twitter. And uh, you can certainly find me occasionally on uh, Microsoft blogs, but in general, Twitter is a great place to, uh, to reach out. Um, and certainly Jeff at Microsoft.com if you want to get in touch over mail as well. Um, in terms of what I want to plug, uh, I would encourage everyone to go take a look at the networking and connectivity sessions that we delivered at Ignite yeah. um, that are available on, the, the, on ignite.microsoft.com. Um, we built a whole bunch of content there, uh, and we're also um, constantly updating that uh, on, uh, um, on support.office.com, um, mm -hmm. our, our documentation and, and guidance website. So go check that out if you're interested in making sure your connectivity is rock solid. Wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome.